It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from Microsoft Surface. Now more than ever, you need a laptop that can be as adaptable as you are. Introducing Microsoft Surface Laptop Go. Finally, a premium laptop at an affordable price. Starting at just $549, its light, thin design, vibrant touchscreen, powerful processor, and built-in HD camera and mic turns any room in your home into a classroom, office, or study hall. Available in three amazing colors the whole family will love. Visit surface.com slash laptop go for more details. Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code boom to get $30 off your first month. That's boom. Talkspace.com slash boom. B-O-O-M. You're locked on Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast. I am Daniel, your host, and so happy to bring you your team every day. This is a special Saturday night, Sunday morning edition of Locked on Warriors because the Warriors played Game 3 against the Utah Jazz and won 102-91. This was the first definitive Kevin Durant game in the playoffs of his Warriors tenure. He was absolutely fantastic. 38 points, 15 of 26 from the field, 4 of 8 from 3, and impressively, 38 points on 26 shots, shot attempts, but also only had 4 free throws. So it wasn't like he was sustaining his offense at the line, which has been a hallmark of his, including it at other moments of this series. And what made his performance so important was that a lot of it came during the portion of the game when the Warriors were really struggling outside of him to get offense. And so I, I, I had the stat at one point through three quarters, Durant had 27 points on 10 for 19 shooting, and the rest of the team had made just 36% of their shot attempts for this game. And his success was really their only reliable offense, and that was what facilitated the Warriors just having an overall team performance. And I've used the phrase over the course of this season, just enough. It's been a theme because this this year's team has been different from last year's, which just had that go, go, go killer instinct from the jump in almost every single game. And this year's team has taken a little bit of a different approach. They've been more judicious about the way that they played players during minutes, the way that they defended, not during every game, but during some games, and also just not necessarily dominating lesser opponents. And this was not a just enough game where the team really played down to their opponent because the Jazz are a very good team and the Jazz played very well for a large portion of this game. Those who've listened to this podcast before know that I love the concept of feedback loops. And so the idea of feedback loops is that in the positive direction, successful stops make it easier to play easy offense and scoring makes it easier to play good defense. And the Jazz did a nice job of that throughout the first three quarters of this game. They also benefited from guys like Clay Thompson having rough night shooting, though I think some of that was also playing good defense. And so what the Jazz were able to do was take a a less efficient Warriors game overall and get a few better shots themselves. And they really needed those because the Jazz 
offense, especially in the half court, was not their best. Both teams turned the ball over seven times in the first three quarters, and both teams shot about 41% from the field in those first three quarters, but the Jazz were able to get better looks in those transition and semi-transition, including a couple of passes to Rudy Gobert, who did a very nice job running the floor, something that JaVale McGee has really made some hay on this year for the Warriors. And they were So they were able to take advantage of those bursts and those struggles from various guys, Clay Thompson being most notable, but also remember that Stephen Curry was 4 of 18 from the field through three quarters and then was just absolutely molten in that fourth quarter. In the fourth quarter, Curry had 11 points, and that only included two makes from the field, which were both threes, because he also got to the line five times and made all of those, including a three-shot foul, which helped salt away the game. It, it kind of sealed it. I think that's what put them up double digits with about two or three minutes left to go. So the Warriors were able to take advantage of the opportunities later on that they were not able to take advantage of in the early part of this game. And I brought up Clay Thompson a little bit earlier, but he he did really struggle offensively. And there are two different ways that somebody like Clay, who primarily functions off the ball, can struggle. So one is that he can fail to get good opportunities. And so that can be, you know, not working well off the ball. That can be, you know, struggling maybe sometimes with it in his hands, though he didn't turn the ball over at all in this game. And then the second one is failing to convert opportunities that present themselves. And so for an off-the-ball player, it really can be some of both of those. And for Thompson in this game, it really was some of each part. He had he had a few plays where, you know, he scuffled his feet. There was one in particular where he had a three-pointer, but he didn't get the fork exactly right and then missed it. And so most of his looks, he was one for nine from the field overall, weren't great, but he wasn't able to convert them at the rate that you usually expect. So it goes in both directions. He didn't create as many as he as he wanted to, and, and then he also didn't convert the the good ones that he did get weren't weren't really there. And that happens. It's not a truism that every player is going to be great every game. And part of the benefit that the Warriors have compared to every other team in the NBA, it, even including Cleveland, I, I will say that is that the Warriors can survive performances that are shaky on one end or the other or just bad performances from multiple guys on their kind of of their core in the same game and so curry you know he had a great fourth quarter was shaky on both ends of the floor pretty much before that and they were able to survive that and and they were able to survive that and also remember draymond green he had some really nice moments in this game, but this was not his best performance defensively. This was not his best performance offensively. After making five of seven threes in the first half of game two, he didn't make a long distance shot, and then but he was four of five on his twos, and that was enough to help sustain them offensively. And then he missed time due to foul trouble and picked up a technical foul after getting in that foul trouble. And a big part of me sympathizes with what happened to Green because while it wasn't when he got the tech, in the second quarter his second foul. So they actually, he actually got two early fouls and stayed in, but then they uh, changed one of those two. And then he picked up a second, second foul later on. And it was completely dubious on Gobert. And so he was presumably still frustrated about that. And then in the third quarter, late in the third quarter, or sorry, second quarter, he picked up another foul, which was harder to discern. It was one of those plays when he and Gobert were jostling and I couldn't, I genuinely couldn't figure out, you know, who the foul was on, but the referees probably had greater context. They called it on Draymond. He was very, very angry, kept on jawing. I believe it was with Benny Adams and eventually got a tech. And that is 
vaguely significant, something that I had mentioned before the playoffs started, was the idea of whether Draymond was going to get technical fouls early, because for those who remember, part of the reason Green was suspended for Game 5 of the Finals was that one of his flagrant fouls was when he basically tackled Michael Beasley in the Rocket series, which was their first round series, which they never really threatened. And it was in the end of a game that they had already basically won. And, you know, if he hadn't gotten that flagrant point, then he wouldn't have been suspended for the one on LeBron in game four. So I wanted to keep an eye on that. And this is a technical point, not a flagrant point. So they aren't counted the same. I believe it's four. So the I believe it's four flagrant points and seven technical points. I'm not exactly sure, but I think that's right. You would think that I would know this backwards and forwards after last year, but it doesn't stay in that long. So I want to keep an eye on that and really where all this is going. But the Warriors were able to handle all that because of Durant, and Durant was absolutely masterful on the offensive end. It didn't really matter what the Jazz did. Something that uh, Nate Duncan and I argued about before the series was whether Gordon Hayward would be able to defend Durant one-on-one, and at least in Game 3, the answer was pretty clearly no. One of the key stretches of the game was something that I wanted to get into, and we'll talk a little bit about a little bit later, but the Warriors struggled offensively at the beginning of the second quarter with the second unit. Durant came in, and then in the time when he was on the floor and Curry was not, Durant got, I believe it was three consecutive baskets at Hayward's expense, was absolutely dominant. There was nothing that they could do, and that helped keep the Warriors afloat. They had you know, played well at the beginning of the game, which has been pretty standard in this series, and then struggled outside of that, and Utah was able to roar back, and that helped keep the Warriors afloat, and then, you know, they still, despite playing pretty poorly in the first half, only had a one-point deficit, and then actually had a two-point lead at the end of the third quarter. But before I get into some of the rotational stuff, which I want to talk about, I also want to take a few minutes, a little bit of time to tell you about SeatGeek. SeatGeek is my go-to for both buying and selling tickets. And there are a lot of great things to look forward to. If you are a Warriors fan in the local area, then you can look forward to potentially going to playoff games. We don't know if there will be a game five, but looking forward to playoff games at some point, you know, if it's in the next round, maybe we'll have to see. But they also do great work for concerts and theater and sporting events and other ones, wherever you are. And they do two particular things really well. One is they are an aggregator. So you don't have to worry about going to a bunch of different ticket sites, worrying if the listing you want is not on their site. So it saves you time that way. And it also saves you time and money through DealScore. What DealScore does, and it really is impressive as somebody who used to work in the ticket business, is that it tries to combine ticket quality and ticket price to say, hey, these are the best values that are out there. And they can't say buy these tickets, buy those tickets, because for most events, unless it's like a general admission show, they can't say whether you want to have floor seats, whether you want to have the best of the upper reserve or something like that. But they can say, hey, you don't need to look through all of these listings because it's the best place to buy and sell tickets. There are a bunch of listings for most things. These are the best ones that are around right now. And that also puts pressure on sellers because you want to make sure that your that your ticket is among the best ones. So you you sometimes it leads to sellers being a little bit more balanced in everything. And if you want to check it out, you can do that and support the show by using the promo code LO Warriors. So you download the SeatGeek app and then you go to the settings tab. The SeatGeek app is free. You enter the settings tab and enter the promo code LO Warriors for Locked On Warriors. And not only do you try the app, but you get twenty free dollars on your first purchase. It's done as a rebate. So you 
put in the code, buy the tickets to whatever you were going to go to, and then you get $20 back. It's pretty awesome. And again, you support the show. The, the other thing that I wanted to talk about, and originally this was going to be a much bigger part of this podcast and my piece for The Athletic, which is already up, was the idea of whether this is the time for Mike Brown to move away from the regular season rotation that led to the second unit. So I have previously referred to the group of Ian Clark, Clay Thompson, Andre Guadalla, Draymond Green, and David West as the wild card. And some people got mad because they said, oh, you know, the group has been pretty good since they kind of made this this group together and made some of the tweaks that happened later on, when particularly adding Clay Thompson, which they did after January or in January, but inconsistently. My problem with that group is not necessarily in terms of their execution so far. It is the theory of the lineup. It is very, very hard for that group to generate reliable offense. And when a unit struggles to generate reliable offense, it will struggle sometimes against really good opponents. And this is kind of in line with my criticism of DeMar DeRozan, for those of you who listen to Dunked On or other things, which is that certain approaches work better in the regular season. There are teams in the NBA that have worst benches. There are teams in the NBA that have, you know, have flaws and everything like that. And that group is very good defensively. So they can get stops and they can generate offense that way. The problem is playoff teams have much better benches overall. And some of that is just team consistency because really star players are, are far more determinative in terms of playoff performance as long as their teams are decent. But when you look at the best of the best, a lot of times they have strong benches. And remember also that they're condensing their rotations during the playoffs. So you're not dealing with the 8th, ninth, 10th guys on the bench very often. You're dealing more with 6, 7, maybe a little bit of 8. And when you look at who the Warriors will play in future rounds, they were able to get away with this against the Blazers. But remember, the Blazers were also dealing with injuries, which moved guys up in the rotation and having an inconsistent bench in the first place. The Jazz are very deep. They're a very good team in that way. The Rockets and the Spurs, though the Spurs will be a little bit different now that Tony Parker is out, whichever team the Warriors face, if they make the Western Conference Finals, will have a good bench. And Cleveland runs a couple of different lineups out there, but one of the line the lineup they use at the beginning of the second quarter is LeBron included. And that will pose a major problem for the Warriors because it'll be LeBron, Fry, and then basically shooting around them, the lineup that actually gave them their comeback in game three of the Indiana series. And to a point, well, it was a different lineup in, in game three of the Toronto series. Anyway, the point being that a lineup without a clear path to success on both ends of the floor is likely going to get taken advantage of. The Warriors can counter this in two different ways. One is by shortening the amount of time that group is on the floor, because normally teams are playing their guys playoff minutes. Stephen Curry still only played 36-30, partially because he sat out the first seven minutes of the second quarter. Klay Thompson, 39. Durant, about 39. Draymond, a little bit under 38. And partially that's because he missed a little bit of time due to foul trouble. So giving those guys a, a little bit of higher proportion of minutes will reduce the time of that, just courier ramping on four. But the other way that they should approach it, and I talked about this, I think it was after game one or game two, is by changing Durant's rotation a little bit. And they actually did this in the second quarter and it worked out better, but they just need to make it a little stronger, is maybe you do the first two minutes or so, like until the first stoppage with that lineup, but then you bring Durant in earlier by sitting him at the very end of the first and third quarters, and then that way you have a shorter stretch of time when neither Curry nor Durant is on the floor. 
That also puts less pressure on Ian Clark to be a creator. His stretch in the second quarter was one of the worst of his entire season. Playing against one of his former teams, he had a horrendous three-shot foul on Shelvin Mack, and he also had one play where he put the ball in his hands to create with like four seconds on the shot clock. They hadn't gotten anything, and he turned the ball over in a way that facilitated a Utah fast break. I think Gobert got a dunk out of it. And they're just going to have to figure out how to make all that work And I think that having Durant on the floor would be a major way to do it. And also, when you think about that unit that often ends the first and third quarters, typically it's something like Curry, Sean Livingston, Draymond, Iguodala, and and McGee with potentially, you know, with Durant filling a spot there sometimes. You don't need Kevin Durant in that lineup. You can go a couple different directions. That would also open up the possibility of using Pat McCaw there, which I think could be useful. But they have plenty of ball handling. If if they're going to bring Draymond back at the end of the first quarter, which they do sometimes, you don't need Durant out there. Give him a little bit of rest there and then use him at the third quarter or second quarter. And I think that'll work better. And Mike Brown went towards that in this game and that was very encouraging. And the fact that Durant was so awesome in those non-Curry minutes should be a little little bit of a boost for that idea in the coaching staff. So we'll have to see where it goes moving forward. That's the way this always is. You don't want to read too many broad lessons into all of this stuff, but it is still notable in that realm. And it'll be fascinating to see where this series goes. And this was like the game three in the Portland series, an extremely demoralizing loss for the home team because for the most part, the Jazz played well. You know, they definitely missed some opportunities that they could have gotten. They had some struggles at the free throw line, though not Gordon Hayward. Gordon Hayward was 13 of 14, but overall they missed 10. They swing a couple of those. Gobert missed eight free throws himself. If they get a couple of those converted, maybe this game is closer. Maybe, you know, because you get that spillover when it's like, a, you know, it's like an eight point game. It often rolls into double digits, but if it's five or four, then it can go the other way. So I want to see how the Jazz respond. It is overwhelmingly likely now, considering no NBA team has ever come back from a 3-0 deficit, that they will lose the series. But that does not mean they will curl up and fold fold over for Game 4. They could definitely fight through that and force a Game 5 and see where the series goes from there, especially if they're going to get George Hill back, which we do not know at this point with his big toe issue. It was disappointing to me as a basketball fan that he didn't play in this game. So I want to see all that. I want to see the fight that comes from the Jazz. But Warriors fans can take a little bit of comfort in the idea that While it is not definite, they have a very good chance of winning this series and the fact that it was Kevin Durant who made it happen. He was special, special in this game, and they were able to overcome some disappointing performances, some shaky defense, some shaky offense to win a game with an amped up home crowd in a rival stadium, and they did it in a couple of impressive ways. I mean, beyond Durant, starters versus starters, they they did a very good job yet again more in the first quarter than the third, which again was a pattern. And then in the fourth quarter, they have a better five than the Jazz do. The Jazz don't, they they tried to start Boris Diaw. He had some moments, but they don't have the right combination of talent to really make that work. So I think Warriors fans should be pleased with that. Utah is a very good team. I don't want to be ambiguous about that, though they miss George Toe a lot. And the Warriors should be proud of what they did. And the fact that they can beat a good team without dominant performances from everybody is a statement about their viability moving forward. They won't necessarily be able to win games like this against whoever they face in the Western Conference Finals, should they make it, and the NBA Finals, should they make it. But this general pathway is a possibility. And I, w- I think that there's a lot that you can take away from that. That is enough for now. I will be back 
probably Sunday night. If I can think of a material, that's always an exhausting day because Nate Duncan and I are going to do the Twitter NBA show for the second and third games tomorrow. We're not doing Cleveland-Toronto unless it's close late because we don't want to. Um, We'll do those, and then we'll do a mammoth dunked on about catching up on all four series after that. So we'll have a lot to talk about. But Still plenty of material to go through. I'm also going to record Real Jam Radio tomorrow, so that'll be exciting. So there's a possibility that I won't do a new episode, but I expect to. And if you want to support this show or any others, what you can do is you can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player of your choosing. You can subscribe, download every episode, spread word by word of mouth or word of internet, Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, whatever. Uh, if you if you want it, if you think other people will enjoy it, always appreciate it. You can also read my work at The Athletic. My game analysis piece is already up and every player will probably be in The Athletic app either tonight or tomorrow morning, depending on when I get it done, which is always fun for those subscribers and spend such a fun project to do this year. And yeah, that's, that, that's enough for now. If you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com, at DannyLaRue on Twitter. I'm actually probably going to start a conversation on something related to my Warriors podcasting work in the next week, so keep an eye out on that. I'll probably put a notice on Twitter. So it's kind of what you're looking for in Warriors podcast content, but I, I don't have it ready yet. I've been too busy to really write it up yet, but I wanted I want to get your input on that. So look forward to that, or look, for, look to it. You don't have to look forward to it over the next little bit. And also, check out SeatGeek. SeatGeek is a free app. It's my go-to has been as for buying and selling tickets, S-E-A-T-G-E-E-K. And the promo code is L-O-Warriors, like Locked On Warriors, and you get $20 rebate on your first purchase. So check that out. Take care and make it a great day. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. San Jose Sharks hockey is back, and we've got you covered five days a week at Locked On Sharks. I'm Kyle Demetrius. I'm J.D. Young. Eric Fowl. Together, we make sure you're never without your Sharks programming. Will the Sharks make a trade for a right winger? We got you covered. Will Eric Carlson's groin hold up for the entire season? We've got you covered. Whatever happens with Team Teal every day, we've got you covered at Locked On Sharks five days a week on the Locked On Podcast Network. This is Josh Lloyd, the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, the number one fantasy basketball podcast in the world. If you're looking for information regarding fantasy basketball, recaps of the NBA, this is the show for you. We are heading into the offseason and starting to get ready for the 2020-2021 fantasy season. We'll have all the information on what happens through the rest of the playoffs, free agency, the NBA draft, and then heading into a big 2021 season. So make sure you're checking out the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast.